Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter.com or Blue Sky. Now open to the public at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Blue Sky at Scavendish. If you like this show, the one you're listening to right now, you can rate it, you can review it, you can subscribe to it. All those things help people find us. But most importantly, tell somebody, anybody, the person next to you, the person across from you, random person you see on the street, walk up to them and say, hey, I'm listening to Lamestream Sports right now, and you should too. Please go tell somebody about the podcast. Mitch Light, our guest today on the show, recruiting editor for The Athletic, formerly of Athlon Sports, been a Nashville native, Vanderbilt graduate. You guys know Mitch Light. Um, we're going to talk about sort of the evolution of the coverage of recruiting. Uh, he started, you know, working a, uh, as a student at Vanderbilt, covering sports. Recruiting was a not a big deal. And we'll explain sort of his evolution of, of coverage through Athlon and how Athlon addressed putting recruiting coverage into the, into the magazine. And now, of course, what The Athletic is doing, because there's so many different dynamics at play with storytelling, with NIL, decision making, all kinds of fun stuff. So really great conversation with Mitch. Always really interesting to talk with him. Great perspective, of course, and a guy that I've known for a very, very long time. So is Mitch a three timer or a four timer? I think it's only his second time on get the, the show, honestly. No, no, no. It's at least I think he's a two timer. We'll have to go back and check. Yeah. Um, ESPN has signed a contract for the college football playoff through six more years beyond the, the next two. So now they're under contract for eight years of the college football playoff. We finally got the number $7.8 billion. We will explain what that means a little bit later on in the show. And we've got some recommendations as well. We'll begin here with the Super Bowl, the total viewing number, and what happened on the broadcast. So we'll get to all of that coming up here in a second before we talk with Mitch. Before we do, however, Steve Cavendish of the Nashville Banner, sign up for good journalism. Lamestream Sports is brought to you by... Eighth and Roast. Yes, it is, in fact, brought to you by Eighth and Roast. And the beans are just better. I think that's ultimately what we're settling on. The beans are just better. Uh, also, great gathering spot is over it- there on Charlotte Avenue. Uh, we're over there all the time. Me and, an, and another co-host from, from another show. <laughs> not Steve. Steve's not there. Is it? No, I'm not there. Don't don't come looking for me there. I'm I'm, I'm usually on Eighth Avenue. That don't look the for brie, me. The brioche veggie deluxe in my old age, delicious, fantastic. If you're looking for something a little lighter, you know, there's obviously wow. a bacon, egg, and cheese croissant if you want it. But I I go with the uh, the brioche veggie deluxe with that a little mean, hot pepper jelly on the, there. Delicious. That may be the whitest thing you've ever said. No, it's the middle-aged The Brioche Veggie Deluxe <laughs> with a little bit of pepper jack. Sure, it's extremely white. It's also mostly a middle-aged digestive tract is what I'm is what I'm getting at here. Uh, but the coffee is fantastic. Yeah. The beans are you better. Slug that down with some Activa or what? Are you done? Are you done? I'm, I'm, try- I'm in the middle of an advertisement I'm here. Done. I'm talking about our client, yeah. our wonderful, wonderful and amazing sponsor, Eighth and Roast. Eighth and Roast. They have a location. Where the beans on- are better. Where the beans are better. I'm trying to help you out here. The beans are better. That's just a fact. Like, they're just better. Ethically sourced, of course. Uh, you can go over there. They've got four locations, Vandy, the airport, Charlotte Avenue, and, of course, on 8th Avenue, their original location. But more importantly, you can get their better beans all across the city in a grocery store near you. If you cannot find them in the coffee section, make sure you check out the local section as well. So there you have it. Better beans, 8th and roast. Okay, Mitch Light coming up in just a second. Um, Super Bowl, 123 million people. Broke its own, I believe the record was last year for Fox, 115 million. It is 123 million. It's the most watched ever. It is the most watched television event since the moon landing. Uh, And I'm pretty sure we had really scientific measurements of viewership and 
whatever year that was. What was it 1967? I don't even know what year that was. 1969. Uh, 1969, nice. Um, and what's interesting is that includes Spanish viewing, Spanish channels. It includes out of home. It includes streaming. But 120 of the 123 million was just on CBS. So ultimately, while streaming, we have all these conversations, Steve, about streaming and about alternative viewing experiences. It still was 120 million people watching over-the-air CBS broadcast network for a single sporting event. And the, the most watched sporting event for 60 years in this country. It is the most watched anything in 60 years. It While it's still, I will still have many European soccer fans tell me about some silly European soccer match that gets more viewers worldwide. There is nothing as powerful as the Super Bowl from a singular viewing experience. Can we play the Champions League theme in here right now? No. Can we just can we just can we just have it? Can we have the Heineken people come in and just just start they, going? They, cl- they, they claim it's like four hundred million for that. They're right about that as well. Yeah, it but it's like one of the, but they're it, not it, selling seven million dollar thirty second spots on that on that broadcast, are they? In aggregate. Okay. I mean, if you that, that's the thing is it's four hundred million doesn't come from a single market. I mean, you can right. do you can get those ad rates in the United States because you're putting them all all through the CBS mothership. But it, it's it's interesting to me that that the streaming number is what it is. But I mean, the Peacock number for the for the NFL, I mean, for the playoff game was was really good. I mean, was it like twenty three million or something like that? And what that shows is that if that's where the game is, that's where people will go. Amazon's done a good job on Thursday nights. Yeah, I mean, I guarantee you that if. If this were only on Paramount Plus, if the Super Bowl were only on Paramount Plus, the app would break. There would be a hundred million people crashing Paramount yeah, Plus. No, I know. As 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 some people did YouTube TV. Well, they've toyed with the idea of not they, but like people in the media, reporters who cover this stuff, who are experts in this field, have said that there are there's been like these off the cuff conversations about paywalling the Super Bowl. And like I, I think you would get fifty nine ninety nine, and you'd get a hundred million people to do it. I, I think um, so, it, but they'll never do that. They won't ever do it because then they can't sell seven million dollar thirty second spots. You don't think that they could? But if you had, if you had fifty nine ninety nine as your base, as your base price on it, I mean, if you sold them at two billion, you'd still be just. You'd still be just rolling in dough. Oh no! And yeah, you're gonna make providing it. providing like a monster audience for those uh, for yeah. those advertisers. Yeah. No question about it. I don't think you could charge fifty nine ninety nine if you put Tony Romo on there, though. Uh, uh, see, my people, goodness. people have my uh, goodness. Go ahead, go ahead and kill Romo here because I I'm think not going to kill go him. Ahead. I'm not going to kill him. I just thought, even in his first season, when we started going nuts for him, I thought it was overplayed. I I thought, oh, he predi- oh a, a, a quarterback predicted a a, a, a pre snap read that was his job for ten years. Peyton Manning does it on every play on the Manning cast. I think I think Romo is clearly, right. You know, no, let me finish. You told me you'd let me finish. He he walked all over Jim Nance's call in the final play. Like you can tell, he's just not as committed to doing the job as well as other people. I've never enjoyed like his or personally his delivery style is sort of just a personal taste thing. But like you can tell, he is not doing the work to be the best that he can be anymore. And they are stuck with his contract for a long time. I was over Romo year one. So I've always thought he's a little overrated, perfectly lovely guy, does a solid job. But this obsession with him in his first year, I think built him into this thing that CBS paid for. And now people are realizing quickly that it's just, it just sort of the shine wore off real fast. I would take Greg Olson. I would take Troy Aikman. 
Collinsworth, he's sort of on par with. I don't love Collinsworth, but I think I would take Collinsworth. And then Herb Street, I personally like Herb Street because of college. But I, I can understand someone saying that Romo's maybe better than Herb Street. But I, I think he is among of the major five NFL color analysts. I think Romo is now at the bottom of the list. Hmm. Interesting. I, it, not that uh, none of these guys I, I, are I terrible. None of these guys are terrible. I, I don't get it the uh, people were killing Romo on Monday morning. It wasn't good, this. Steve. It wasn't good. So let's let's address a couple of these things. One, he stepped all over Jim Nance's call. Uh, so who cares? I, I mean, uh, seriously, the Nance end of the game, you know, he's written out five things and he's going to there's 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 a game at the end of every at the end of every NCAA basketball championship about how bad the Nance call is going to be about what ridiculous sort of thing he's going to say about. I'm talking you know, about the play about by play Duke, part. About Duke or Gonzaga or whatever else. And I, I just I, I just don't I don't get it. I, I'm glad I we found I'm glad we found the one person who loved the Tony Romo broadcasts in all of the hundred twenty three million say, people. I'm not saying I'm not saying it was flawless. I mean, both of them were disengaged in the first half because it was a it was well, a hard first true. half to watch. In the second half, Romo's call was as good as anybody because it was it was a tight game and he was and he was super engaged. The people that want to the, the people that want to criticize Romo are often cherry picking stuff like him stepping on Nance at the end of the. I have been consistent. I, I, just, uh, I, I, I we've done this show for three years. I have cons- I've been as consistent as possible. The very first week that Romo did the whole prediction thing, like five years ago, and everyone lost their mind. I was like, this guy's not that great. I have never thought he was that great, so I have not changed. I am not doing. I'm not cherry picking anything, and I think most broadcast experts will tell you that was not a good broadcast for a Super Bowl caliber 123 million broadcast person. Here's the thing: you know how hard it is for a Packers fan to say that he likes Troy Aikman better. You know how hard it is because Tony Romo is Tony <laughs> Romo is completely harmless. He's from Wisconsin. He's completely harmless. He never won a playoff game. Look, he chokes in big moments as a quarterback. I think you could say the same thing about his broadcasting career. <laughs> that is that is that is so that is so bad and wrong. It's just awful. I mean, Sorry, I had to Nance is the, Nance is the weaker link of that of that of that. Oh career. my god. Okay. I just don't think that's. A great I, 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 I'm just I'm just not an, I'm just not a Nance fan. I, I like. Okay. I would much rather you know of that top echelon of folks. I would take Tariko over him in a heartbeat. I would take. I would um, take Burkhart and Olson over everybody else, and then Buck and Aikman, I would take probably. Buck. I would, I would take Buck over Nance, and I would take I, I would even take Burkhart. Yeah, Burkhart's uh, great. All right, 123 million. Uh, good job, CBS. It was clearly worth the money. This is why they pay for it. And we'll yeah, I mean, I mean, the ratings are great. Yeah, and we'll get to the <laughs> I mean, college the, the college ball money in just a second. So we'll do that after our conversation with Mitch. Go to Eighth and Roast. Uh, they just got better beans. Uh, did, I, did I already screw it up? They got they've got the better they've got the better beans. Go to Eighth and Roast. Eighth uh, and Roast. The beans are better. The beans are better. There we go. I, I knew I'd land on it eventually. Uh, here was our conversation with the Athletics recruiting editor, Mitch Light. Hello, Mitchell. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm I'm well, Braden. I was going to say long time no see, but I saw you recently. <laughs> you look fantastic. Okay, thank you. You do as no, well. No, he doesn't. Um, okay, yeah, shut you're up, supposed to say You're supposed to say nice things when someone asks you to be on their podcast. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, Mitch, we're going to talk recruiting. You are obviously the recruiting editor for The Athletic. And we're going to get into all the different challenges that now face folks in your shoes covering this particular part of college football. Also, what does the future hold and what does it look like? But I want to sort of go backwards and set the scene. You, of course, were the 
managing editor for Athlon Sports for a long time, putting the magazine together. You did a bunch of stuff locally at Vanderbilt when you were in college. So I just I, I want to sort of set the scene from you personally, because this informs to some degree how we cover this particular part of college football. What what did you enjoy? Um, and from a coverage standpoint about college football recruiting, wh- where was like your favorite time of of like coverage and how the sport was unfolding? Does that make sense? Like, how did you consume college football recruiting news as a fan of the game and also someone covering the sport? Yeah, that's that's interesting because I I've always realized you know you can't be a college football fan and and, and dismiss recruiting. It's important. Um, but I just kind of like I knew the five stars. I knew the important guys. I knew the local guys you needed to know, like Ingle Martin, you know, coming through. He was a five-star quarterback or highly ranked quarterback in NBA. I knew those names. Um, so I kind of you know, just, again, paid attention to what I thought I needed to pay attention to to, to be a, a knowledgeable college football fan slash journalist editor. Um, at Athlon, as you know, we did not cover recruiting very much. We kind of leaned into our expertise, which was our local beat writers and our features and stuff. And, you know, when I took over as the managing editor in the mid 2000s or late 2000s, that's, you know, as you were rivals and in those sites started to, to come up, we, we leaned on, you know, rivals of 247. They were the ones that did the rankings. Like people would say, why don't you guys do your, 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 your own rankings at Athlon? Like, are you kidding me? You know how hard it is to do, to, to travel the country and do all that stuff. So um, looking back, and knowing how popular recruiting is now and how well our recruiting coverage does at The Athletic, I probably would have leaned into not the rankings more, but more features, more features on the the five-star freshman or not the five-star freshman, the, the top 300 quarterback uh, who's got an interesting backstory because people like to read that stuff. Um, but, you know, the, just when you asked me the question, the first recruiting I, I remember was when I was uh, right after college, living in New York city, back, getting ready to move to Nashville. And people knew I liked college football and that I had family in the South. And people asked me where Peyton Manning was going to go to college. And like, this is <laughs> 94 pre-internet. Like I had a cousin that lived in new Orleans. Like that was my source, you know? So like, imagine, you know, all the, there are no message boards. There are no, all that stuff. So I, I still remember telling some guy, I think he's going to LSU. That guy's probably like, that idiot. Yeah, he's not going to LSU. So <laughs> he's still um, pissed at you today, by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sources said so. It's clearly evolved. My appreciation for recruiting has evolved, and just cut me off if I'm rambling too much. You know, uh, w- when I started at the Athletic, and then I moved over to the college football team, I started working with Ari Wasserman, who I believe you've had on uh, your, your show, Braden. And, and Ari was, you know, the Athletic almost when it started was too cool for college football coverage. If like they were going to do the, the, the deeper stories and Ari kind of convinced the bosses, like fans love this stuff. So in 2020, Ari started a, he called it this week in recruiting, just like highlights of recruiting. You know, this guy committed to Ohio state, this guy's down to Tennessee, whatever like that. And it did well. And they moved Ari from uh, Ohio state beat writer. He transitioned to a uh, national recruiting writer and the stuff did well. Then they named me recruiting editor. Now we've got, two full-time recruiting writers and two other writers that like kind of half beat writers, half recruiting writers. So um, the stuff does well, people are very interested in it. So I've kind of matured and come around and said, yeah, this stuff is very important. It's not just people on message boards, you know, going this guy visited five spots. There's, there's a lot to cover about recruiting. When, when you guys are covering recruits, uh, how much of it is only from the high, from the high, where do you cut off? Do you cut off at high school or are, do you follow them through transfer portal kind of stuff? Oh, and, and, and kind of where is the kind of kind of who's 
if, if there is somebody in the portal, kind of where where does that land? Does that land on recruiting? Does that land on a beat? Does that land kind of somewhere in between? Yeah, good question. Um, so you know that didn't exist. The kids kids have always transferred, but not much. But so I'll give Max Olson, uh, one of my colleagues, the athletic credit. Like when the when the portal kind of became a thing, and you know everyone talks about the portal. The portal's been around. It's it was the instant eligibility where you didn't have to sit out. That's when transferring really took off. Max realized how important that was. So we treat recruiting like, of course, we all have our hands in everything at the athletic and our college football team. But like, I'm a recruiting editor. Max is a writer, but he's, you know, we call him the portal king or whatever, you know, uh, 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 he is really all over that stuff. Him and, you know, Bruce Feldman, uh, they've got great sources. They talk to schools um the you know uh, about transfers where guys might be going and stuff like that so steve to answer your question we definitely um the the appetite is it's basically roster management it's not it's all goes under the umbrella you see that in nfl i mean people why do people love free agency in the draft every sport it's about roster management and college football roster management used to be exclusive recruiting now it's recruiting transfer portal all that stuff I still I want to I want to get your opinion on on the value of how to build a championship team, but that's a little late, later on in the conversation. Going back yeah. to sort of like the the size of the audience, I find interesting because when the recruiting sites were launching and were really 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 popular mid two thousands, let's say oh oh four oh five oh six oh seven before like sort of Yahoo and all these big companies came in and bought them, that there felt it felt like the hardcore fan couldn't get enough of the granular shit, like the super detailed, like he was wearing a sweatshirt at. Yeah. You know, at this basketball game. It's now, some of that, where, you know, like, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Some of that has changed because there's cameras now everywhere and technology has changed around that. But I also think I, I, t what it sounds like you guys have done at The Athletic, and I think this is my own personal journey through recruiting as well, which is that the, the, the audience that wants all that stuff. Hey, there's an announcement coming up on Tuesday. He's got these four choices. Mike, I think he's going here. Like, I feel like that's a really finite audience and that's been capped. And we figured that out, that that is just, a, it's a subset, but it's an important set, but there's a cap on it. But that the, the regular fan, and I don't want to say casual, but like yeah. the college football fan is, is, has figured out that like team rankings matter, but that the stories are just as good and that there's sort of this middle ground of, of recruiting coverage. Does that sound like yeah. where, where most college football fans fall? Yeah, so like we don't cover the you know breaking goals down to five schools. Here's who he's visiting and stuff. Because like first of all, we don't have the manpower for it, and there's other companies that do that quite well, like you said, in 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 two four seven on three rivals all that stuff. So we are looking for the, you know, how do I say this? We're looking for the stories that if you're a Tennessee fan and we're writing about a kid who just committed to Miami, you might find interesting. Like, you know, we do a lot of quarterback features. People love quarterbacks. So I, I forgot the guy's name. I think it was Debbie Belfort. And I, you guys might know him if you guys follow MMA. I don't. He was a high three-star uh, kid from the South Florida who committed to Virginia Tech. Not a, not, a, not a move the needle recruit, but his dad is one of like the most famous MMA fighters, just Brazilian or something like that. So like, it was an interesting story. So like Manny Navarro, who covers Miami for us, so he lives down there, wasn't a Miami recruit, wrote a little feature on this kid all the stuff story did quite well because people recognize the dad or if I'm a Vanderbilt fan or a Tennessee fan, I say, Oh, wait, that, that's an interesting story. So like we try to find the interesting stories like today. I don't know. This is probably coming out Friday, but today on Wednesday, we have a story, Grace Rayner and Audrey Snyder. Uh, Grace is a recruiting writer. Audrey covers Penn state. They did a story. It's, it's Valentine's day, biggest recruiting heartbreaks coaches have had. 
And so they talked to coaches all around, retired current coaches, Butch Jones talking about missing out on Von Bell when he was at Tennessee. Got Barry Switzer talking about missing on Earl Campbell. Um, uh, Joe Moorhead talking about when he got the call from Justin Fields, coach, you got a second to talk. He's like, that's usually not good news. Justin Fields <laughs> is decommitting from Penn State. He's going to commit to Georgia. So, like, that's one example. We just try and find, like, he's kind of what I did at Athlon. He's like, I'm a college football fan. What interests me? So, like, if I find it interesting, not that I'm, like, the barometer, but if I find it interesting, I think a lot of college football fans will find it interesting. So, I guess to specifically answer your question, we don't pretend to be rivals 247. Right. They do a good job. We try to cover it differently. One thing that we, we have national writers, you know, the athletics respected, I think, we can get in the doors. We can talk to more coaches, yeah. more prominent coaches than maybe some other recruiting outlets. Recruiting. Do you, do you, so, you used to be in the prediction business, and yes. predictions used to be heavily tied to the recruiting rankings. There's a major debate about how much the recruiting rankings will be tied to future success moving forward because of roster management. Yes. Person personally, how much value do you still put on the rankings if you are evaluating football teams? A lot. And and you know, publish I do a podcast called Stars Matter and and my my colleague Ari <laughs> Wasserman's basically made his career basically saying it was a leading the, question, your honor. Yeah, the teams with the best players win the most games. And historically, that's true. And yes, come at me with, well, you know, this three-star quarterback, you know, Jay Cutler, no one wanted Jay Cutler, he went to the NFL. Uh, we, we get it. There's there's plenty of examples of that. But to specifically answer your question, Braden, and, and Ari, we've talked about a lot, to, a lot of this, a lot on our pod, and Ari had an epiphany this year, and it was hard not to when Michigan wins the national title, because while they recruit well, they don't recruit at an elite level. With the the new age of roster management, you cannot just look at recruiting rankings. They're very important. It's about retention. It's about building your roster the right way. I think you're good. we are going to get into this, but I look at Florida State. If it works, is like I call Mas Mike Norvell like the, the 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 master roster builder. He took over a, a name brand program that was down, hit the portal hard, did it well with big time players at every position on both sides. Got good, made the jump. And then started realizing that high school recruiting is the way to build. Now, I'm going to contradict myself a little bit because Norvell had a top five class through most of the cycle. They lost two five stars late in the process. K.J. Bolden flipped to Georgia and um, uh, forgot what else. So they ended up with a number 12 recruiting ranking. But what, I'm what my point is, I think the best way to build a roster now, if you take over a program, is hit the portal quickly, elevate your program. And then realizing that high school, you still, to sustain excellence, in my opinion, you still need to have outstanding high school recruiting, develop, keep guys in the program. What's your sense of, of college players today and how much they're still in play even, even after they're at a program because of the portal? Um hundred percent, whatever. I know it wasn't a percent question, but that's, you <laughs> talked to any coach Every player on the roster. <laughs> they stress more about roster retention. And when they, you know, we don't want to hear these multimillionaires complain, but I get it. Like they have to re-recruit their roster all the time. And I'll do a pitch right now. I'm a, this, this week, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, running a three-part series, the uh, college baseball coaches forum. And I, I talked to 11 coaches around the country and asked what, and the one that ran on Wednesday was about NIL and the transfer portal. And I know it's a different sport, but it's the same thing. You have to recruit your guys Every year, I mean, every spot, every year. And the problem is, and maybe I'm getting ahead of us with NIL, you have guys going to their coach and 
the thing about football, there's 86 scholarship guys. It's not like baseball or basketball. You got guys going to their position coach. I'm going to leave. I got $20,000 from this school, $50,000 from this school. And it's not very, you can't verify. So these coaches, they're, they're held captive by these kids. Like you'll see stuff like a, a second string running back saying he's leaving. Well, then, you know, you don't know what these guys are getting. And so it's just, it's, it's, it's when the people say the wild west open market, like I get the transfer rules. I think two things, Braden uses this term all the time. Two things can be true as a fan of the sport. I don't like seeing guys transfer all over the place, but as just like a kind, normal person, I think kids should be able to transfer. Like if, like if you Braden transferred in college, I believe, um, but the problem is like I in in the courts were beyond this, but I would love to see the which the NCAA tried to implement the the one time transfer. Let me it, ask. Then if you get a transfer in your program, you know you can't. You know he's not going anywhere because he'd have to sit out. So covering this is hard, but, but tampering as a I'm going to use tampering as a general term mm-hmm. to apply to sort of like all communication that could be hypothetically a coaching staff and a collective that could be hypothetically a player on a current roster with a coach at another team or another player at another team. These people all know each other. And so to your point about a guy coming to a position coach saying, look, I might have an offer somewhere else. I'm interested. Some of those guys are going to be doing that in very genuine, honest ways. And some guys are going to be doing that in a very selfish, greedy way. This is America. Last I checked, everyone, you don't need to explain why you want to make more money um, or better your situation or your family or whatever. How do you like, do you operate under the assumption that sort of everyone knows but can't say it? That everyone knows that the offer's probably there, that the coach probably talks to the other coach on the other team, and like the players are talking to each other and the collectives are talking to like do you get do you just operate under the assumption that everybody's talking to everybody? Yeah, that, that mo- tampering's widespread and you know there's different terms for tampering. And I know this is football, I don't just the baseball's fresh in my mind. And one of the coaches said, What happens is you, you have a good your kid has a good season, and then in college baseball, everyone plays summer ball. He goes to the Cape, he plays in the Cape Cod League, he's on a teammate with a guy at school X. He's saying, I'm getting X amount of money. So he comes back, said, Coach, Brain's getting X amount of money to play here. You know, wh- why am I not getting this? So like yeah, like you said, these kids are all friends. That they go to camps coming up. They, they, you know, all over the country. The opening, I don't even know if the opening still exists, but whatever. The all American games, all that. They all know each other, so they're all talking. And then there's, I'll give you an example, sort of like, and we didn't, no one got in trouble for this, but uh, people like tried to blow this up. Antonio Morales, our uh, USC writer, did a story on how Nick Saban's retirement kind of blew up West Coast football. You know, Arizona. Washington switched to San Jose State, you know, all lost their coach because of that. And he talked to Noah Fafita's dad. Noah Fafita was the quarterback at Arizona. And there was a lot of speculation that he was going to transfer because his coach left. And Noah Fafita's dad said that Kalen DeBoer, you know, he the kid never went into the portal. And the dad said that through back channels, Alabama reached out. Kalen DeBoer reached out or whatever. And, you know, there's a lot of respect for Kalen DeBoer. So all these fans came, oh, Alabama's getting, they, they were tampering. They're, they're going to get hit by this. Like, no, they're not. It happens all the time. Like, and this kid's dad is plugged into the high school football scene in Southern California. So Kalen DeBoer, someone on the Washington staff or the Alabama staff now might say, oh, hey, I know a trainer in Southern California. Ask the dad if he'd be interested. Is that tampering? Yeah, it's tampering, but it's like five people removed. It's not like Kalen DeBoer texted the kid and said, hey, if you go to the portal, we'll take you, which there are burner phones. That happens. I mean, I know that happens, but this <laughs> is a case where just it was like 
if you if you think Kalen DeBoer and Alabama were, were like breaking rules, then like just I got a bridge we, to sell you in, in Brooklyn. We're we're all human beings with cell phones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what you just you just did the uh, you just dug into baseball a little bit. Part of the part of the issue that baseball's had for years is that you know that you didn't have a a full roster. Yeah. with scholarships yeah and so you would hear about crazy stuff about like coaches dividing stuff oh you get a quarter scholarship but you sure. get a half scholarship you get whatever else how is how is nil kind of affecting that good question it is um and every not every coach but most of the coaches i talked to said you know we are what's called an equivalency sport you have 11.7 scholarships and um now you tcu coach uh kirk sarlos was said you know it's cost seventy thousand dollars to go to my school um if we have if we gave all of our kids, if we have, he said, let's say we have 12 scholarships on 11.7 and we gave 12 full rides and there's a 40 man roster. That's still 28 guys paying 70,000. Now he says, I know a lot of kids are on financial aid. A lot of kids get academic aid, but basically the point was NIL allows them to make up that difference. So these schools now Vanderbilt, TCU, all of the schools, all the power conference schools. I don't know this for a fact, but I get the impression that very few kids now are paying their way to go to college. In, in college baseball like it's famously Dansby Swanson at Vanderbilt had debt when he left Vanderbilt like he his scholarship was not all paid for he got a partial scholarship but like so that's not happening now these schools are able to make up the difference in what they get in scholarship and financial aid with NIL now some schools are above and beyond that in college baseball paying a lot of money for stars in NIL the transfer market all that but I think it's probably done the best in college baseball because kids aren't again they're not leaving college with debt Maybe women's college basketball, maybe too, um, and softball. I, but those uh, are full sco- basketball is a full oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. Softball what's, is not. What's interesting uh, is you could, in theory, have if you were smart about this from like a shrewd, not to stay on baseball, but if you're a really shrewd manager of resources and your scholarships, like you could, in theory, have like your worst eleven players on scholarships. <laughs> yeah, and like and like your best fifteen players are paid for complete. They're walk ons. But they're paid completely by NIL and therefore making more money than the scholarship. And then you can spread the scholarship money out amongst the guys who aren't worth the NIL money. It's just it's a very strange dynamic. You know, and this is just a ten. I didn't know this. And, you know, Brandon, you know, I follow college baseball very closely. So when, when you didn't have to sit out, when you had to sit out a year in all sports. If you were not receiving scholarship money, you did not have to sit out a year. So like if Vanderbilt had a guy 10 years ago who was on 100% financial aid playing baseball, he could transfer because he wasn't earning any scholarship. He could transfer and not sit out a year because he was not earning any scholar, did not have any scholarship money. I didn't know that rule, but probably a lot of people didn't. Well, you're a Vandy guy. Uh, have you heard anything about the women's bowling team? Are, 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 do, do, they have any, do they have any NIL attached to I them? have no idea. <laughs> I just, I, uh, that I, is, although, I mean... You the athletic like, getting into women's bowling coverage soon? What, one... Um, I, I, while talking to these coaches for baseball, I brought it up to Jill, uh, in an editor's meeting, my boss, Jill thought, I was like, our next, we should do a story on how NIL is affecting non-football, non-basketball. Like, I think people like who don't really, what I just said about college baseball, about making up the, the, the rest of the scholarships, I think it's pretty interesting. A lot of common average fans of the sport might not know it, but there are definitely, uh, in the Olympic sports, I'm sure a lot of schools, kids earning NIL money. I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I'm uh, sure, I'm sure like the gymnastics teams at some of the, some of the big 10 and big and NSEC programs sure. are, are on, uh, have NIL collectives and Auburn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's uh, totally. And, yeah. um, 
you know, we're in Brian, you take this any way you want, but a lot of, a lot of things, the, the pendulum has swung when NIL started in, in recruiting. It's like, Oh, all these recruits are, you know, getting paid a ton of money. And like, we all know what the Nico situation, all that collective. And then it's sort of the pendulum swung. It's like, and this is kind of what Steve brought up before coaches realize they don't want to pay for unproven high school kids. They want the transfers, the proven kids. Yep. So all the numbers you hear now the, the top, the five stars, the top 50 kids, they're getting NIL money coming. But I think people would be surprised by how few dollars are being spent on actual recruits that, as opposed to transfers. That, that's what I was going to ask. If you, if so, I've, I think I underestimated at first the, the booster guy who was going to write $25 million check to sign a class. Like, I don't care how many of you fail. I'm just going to sign a whole class. It's, it's going to be completely inducement to come to a school. And I underestimated that, I think, at first. But to your point, would you would you gradually like would you say, hey, we all overreacted. We all thought this this crazy new rule is going to allow all these boosters to just pour money into classes and one giant booster could pay for an entire class for every school, et cetera, et cetera. And that while that you you think that that is completely shifted now, going these collectives are now focused exclusively on proven commodities, obviously safer, lower risk, safer investment and that. The, the dollars for inducement pay coming to our school is now completely not dried up, but is, is totally different than it was in the first few years. Yes. And again, like I said before, top kids are still getting paid. Like we did a, you can Google it, uh, the athletics, uh, college football confidential, uh, at the under armor, um, all American game, two of our writers, Manny and, and Grace talked about 20 kids and, and most of them. So yeah, I'm getting, you know, 30,000, whatever like that. And the interesting thing was, and I'll, I'll get to your question is, what we found, what we've done, I've read other people do similar things. You talk to these recruits, they're not going to the highest bidder. It's just like the, the school they want to go to has got to be in the ballpark. So if like they really want to go to school A and they're getting $30,000 and making this up and a couple other schools are like at 55, they're going to go where they're comfortable. Now, some kids, in that, like in everything in life, there's people go to the highest bidder. But I think for the most part, people would be surprised that they're not always going to the highest bidder. There's still relationships with the coach. Uh, opportunity to play NFL development, all that. Give, um, give, give me a ballpark on the top fifty. What what a top fifty player is worth? I don't just. I don't even want to throw that out there because I don't want to be wrong. Like I just, you know, other people do that. Uh, you you can you can Google like um, I, I forgot. I don't think we necessarily mentioned the ballpark the the numbers in our in our confidential. Um, but I, I just I hesitate because I don't want to throw. Well, we're, we're not talking about. I guess I'm just trying to understand. Like we're not talking about millions of dollars, but we're not talking about hundreds of dollars either, right? Like we're no, oh, definitely not. I, I think a lot of a lot of top fifty recruits are in the six figures. Um, and certain schools are more aggressive than others. Um, okay, I think you'd be like, it's you don't have to be a rocket science to figure out that Ohio State got very very aggressive with uh, nil this offseason. <laughs> like just yeah. with their with their portal gets and. Uh, you know, and they weren't in the past. And Georgia's a program that you can say what you want. They're not. They don't. They're not paying recruits. You know, they're, they're they're you know, kids are going to Georgia for the most part because they want to play at Georgia. Now there's retention. There's you know, we saw Carson. Back. They, they, I'm not saying they're not getting anything, but it's just different schools approach it different ways. Do you think that the Do you think that the on the collective side, there is more sort of. There's more sort of energy and movement around uh around improvement or maintenance to to that point like for instance you just said georgia is 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 really not kind of kind of in that game um ohio state got got really active this got this got really active this offseason i wonder what i wonder why 
Yeah, losing to Michigan three times in a row can do that. Yeah, figure that out. I mean, is it is that is is it just as simple as as being able to go to your biggest boosters and say, guys, we get we we have to go up a level, and I need you to pay for it. Yeah, it's and there was a great uh, if you go to message board. What's the what's the uh, Twitter feed message board? Oh, message yeah. board genius. Fr- friend of the pod, message board genius. Yeah, th- there was a great. <laughs> The only guess Most, we had to black. Think, the only guess we had to black out and change his voice. <laughs> yeah, um, I pray it was a Florida fan. It was just yesterday, or a couple of days ago. It was, it was basically like, in the past, we were asked to give to donate money for X facility. Now we're asked to give money so we don't lose to Arkansas. And I thought that summed up the imperfect, like it is a tax on the fan now, and that's yeah. not specifically your question, Steve. And that's what everyone has a problem with. Everyone should have a problem with it. the fan who is paying. If you're a Penn State fan, you've got season tickets and you pay this for parking. You pay this for this and this. And then you got James Franklin, rightfully so, saying we need more money. We got we need this this collective. So you've got these schools and it's not just the coaches. You've got the athletic directors pointing fans. It's the it's the ultimate dilemma for a school. They need. Well, they don't need the money, but they want money for facilities and this and this. But they need the money or roster management to keep up with the Joneses. Um, so so let me ask you, because I think that doesn't apply to like 98% of the fans. I, I don't think your 10 and your grassroots donations, for lack of a better term, your, your average football fan who just watches the game on Saturday, which is, again, 90, 95%. I, I certainly know folks who own companies that are worth millions, that have box suites at these stadiums, and that are paying lots of money to play golf with the coach on Monday or yeah. be in the box or whatever it might be access. Right. And I, I want to be a part of building my university. Those folks have never once been rational about donating money to these universities. So I don't know if it's like that unreasonable for the university to be like, no, I don't need a 200 foot waterfall anymore, but I do need a backup defensive end and a, and a, fo- and a nickelback. Can you chip in X amount of dollars you already give us millions anyway. Right. What's what's one? What's three point five million? Like I, to me, I I guess I don't I don't see that being af- affecting a lot of the lower level folks. If that makes sense, I, I'm not. I don't. I totally agree with that specific point. But it's a drain. Like I don't. A lot of collectives I've never personally given to a collective. I don't. I mean. I, whatever but like there's level oh $35 a month right it's like circle giving yeah Yeah, like like there's pressure on fans the average fan like you're not an average fan Bray we're not average fans we're not like out there like trying to get our team better and there's pressures like well the the fan at Ole Miss is like Ole Miss has a very active and collective like Ole Miss is getting x thousand fans to give x amount a month when Florida's not then like it's so I, I agree and I disagree. I think it's it's okay. and that that's what's got to change is fans should not be when when the schools have all this money and all this facilities. And the thing about the facility money is like they had they had to do something with it. People joke about the golf courses that comes into the waterfalls, like they had all this money coming in. Like nobody needs all that stuff. And like everyone's facilities and Ari talks about this a lot. It's like Kids don't go to schools because of facilities. They might not go to a school because of a lack of facility. Like everyone, like 90% of the programs, the facilities are great. Like, are you going to go to this school because the facilities are 10% better? I don't think so. There's just a certain baseline things you need in pretty much every school that's in the ballpark, that's in the game, trying to win at a high level has that already. So it's sort of like 
to your point earlier, these schools have, most schools have almost everything they need from a facility standpoint. So let's divert some of those funds to the NIL, to the collective. Is there anything that you're seeing at below the top tier? So let's, so let's say from, you know, from the sort of the, the G5 schools, is there anything creative around either recruiting or NIL that that has happened over the last couple of years as they have, you know, been sucked into the system as well? Yeah, I'm not in the weeds and not like someone like Max, one of our writers would know who's like kind yeah. of boots on the ground more. Um, there's certain programs that, you know, Liberty, I think, is a pretty, you know, I don't know, robust is the right word, but they, um, you know, certain schools like changing sports a little bit. I think, you know, Bryce Drew, former Vanderbilt coach, is having a really good run at, at, at Grand Canyon in the WAC. I think they've got a nice NIL, the collective, whereas like most WAC schools, like I'm trying to think of other schools in the WAC, like Abilene Christian, like I don't think Abilene Christian has a NIL fund. So well, like, there's there's also an actual campus there as well. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> uh, there can there is there. You, you picked the, out Liberty and Greg Kane. Like I'm not sure those two apply to the rest of the group of five. Well, you, well so you know that's maybe why they're different. Like so, like I, I guess my point is, if you're talking about a Mac school and Mac's not great because all the schools are so like financially strapped, but like if if you have something and your opponent, like I'm making this up, but if you're Toledo and you've got a little collective and and Bowling Green doesn't, then obviously you're, it's, yep. it's, a, it's a game changer. But what we're seeing is, you know, um, it's from the power five level or power four now, it's, it's, it's trickled down everywhere. I mean, you have to have something now, or basically you have, you have no chance because it's not like, it's not like kids demand the most but if you are a productive player at a power five school and you're getting nothing and you know kids at the school you're competing against maybe not the alabama just school kind of on your same level are getting something then you know yeah these kids aren't a lot of these kids aren't going to the nfl their 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 earning power is about to end so if not a lot of money is being poured into the let's call it the the majority of recruiting it's not it's not earth-shattering game-changing money and frankly these kids Honestly, we all kind of agree, like have earned it. Um, how then do you cover decision making at the recruiting level? We can get to the portal, but on the recruiting level, when you cover a decision, if we do feel like it, it's kind of reverting back to the same things that kids were making decisions about before. And let's be honest, they were all getting paid before anyway. But like coaching relationships, geography, offensive scheme, path to the NFL, all the things we used to analyze. Are those now the things that are becoming back to being prevalent in how you cover decision making or because NILs are completely opaque and you have no clue? Like you said, these these collectives are asking for millions and millions of dollars from all these different fans. And then there's zero oversight on where that money goes and how it's spent. How do you guys cover decision making on, on a recruit level? Yeah, so we don't cover that many decisions like i said we might do a feature on a quarterback why'd you pick virginia tech well in that case you know he liked the quarterback you didn't have a ton of offers he liked the quarterback coach he liked the relationships there what we come into what we run into problems with with this is like ari will do a you know recruiting thoughts story like signing days next week here's my 15 thoughts on recruiting and when he gets to wow oregon's really killing it they they they've got x they've six of the top 10 players in California. Why isn't Lincoln Riley recruiting better? That's like an example there. USC as an institution has not been very aggressive in the NIL market. You know, recruits. Oregon has. They've got a very strong collective. Phil Knight, all that. We get it. 
they're getting a lot of recruits away from USC. So how do you write about that? When you don't have proof, there's no contract, or we don't have access to the contracts. So when we're writing a story on why hasn't Lincoln Riley recruited better, everyone's reading it like NIL, NIL. Well, so, so how do you, do you criticize Lincoln Riley or do you not criticize Lincoln Riley? Sure, you can still, you can overcome obstacles. So, so what I'm getting at, like, like how much did Dan Lanning's obviously a good coach, aggressive. I think he'd be a great recruiter if, if everyone was on an equal playing field, Dan Lanning would be a great recruiter. He great trained at Georgia, spent a year at Alabama. But how much praise does Dan Lanning deserve for out-recruiting Lincoln Riley when we know a factor in that is their collective? That's the dilemma we I fit, you know, we face, you know, because then fans in the comments section, well, dumbass, you know, this is well, well, we you can't just say they paid X kid because we don't know. Um, you don't know the numbers and all that stuff and and so uh, kind of rambling, but that does that well, answer no, it's your like, question? It, it's like porn, right? Like you know it when you see it. Like we know, yeah. Ole, we know <laughs> Ole Miss is doing very well with the collective. Have any examples? Yeah, Lane, Lane Kiffin's got <laughs> plen- Lane, Lane Kiffin's got plenty of them. <laughs> yeah. No, like <laughs> just look at his look at his look at his phone. Yeah, no, I I think like I, again, it's so when Tennessee got hit with this investigation, my my initial thought at, right after Florida with Jaden Rashada and Florida State. My, my my initial thought is this is the NCAA. Yes, the NCAA is grasping at straws, trying to sort of put some sort of boundaries on something that it should have put boundaries on 30 years ago. But at the same time, you just kind of know, like if, if I saw news about Texas, Missouri, Ole Miss, Oregon, Tennessee, like, you know, the schools, the Texas A&M, like we, we just kind of know, you just kind of look at it and go, oh, that one's doing it pretty well. And if you're doing it pretty well, then our best guess is like, who knows how it's happening? Yes. Well, here another example. Williams Winery, believe I got his name right, uh, is the number one defensive lineman in the country in the class of 2024. Um, committed to Missouri. He's from maybe Jefferson City. I'm not sure. Now, we wrote about him. Grace talked to his high school coach. We know Missouri has a very uh, uh, not aggressive is not the right word. Uh, friendly, you know, in-state uh, NIL structure where kids can, if they're going to an in-state school, they can get money in high school and all that stuff. Um, but also, like, he's not the first five-star to stay in state at Missouri. They've had decent run there. Right. So, like, right. his high school coach said, yes, it was a factor, but all the schools he's looking at, it was a factor. You know, he wasn't going to college for free. You know, he was going to get some NIL somewhere. So, like, unless you get the kids saying, yes, I went to Missouri because – the and I would not have gone to Missouri if it wasn't for this – if it weren't for this NIL legislation, then that's – okay, we have an answer. But we don't. So, like, how do you cover that? It's a great win for Eli, Eli Drinkwitz and that staff. But, you know, they've got Luther Bird and they had a good year this year. You know, so it's not that shocking that a kid who's from Missouri is going to Missouri. So, like, that, that's another example of just yeah. how do you cover that? I get I got to ask you while we while we have you here as a Vanderbilt guy, uh, what's your what's what's your temperature of the school right now between basketball kind of being in the shitter and yeah. and you know huge three, win three this years week. huge win this week three years of i mean three years of kind of underperforming under under clark lee what what's your sense of of of, of this of the school and are you are you at all hopeful <laughs> well i think before i go specifically i think clark lee and vanderbilt football is actually a really interesting example in all this um that you know nothing to do with me being an alum or local here's a guy like i, I like to tell people like i think Clark like came along 10 years too late. Like he, he had like a Bobby Johnson model. Yep. Recruit, develop, 
retain. Like, I can't think of guys who transferred out of Bobby Johnson's. He went two and 10, two and 10. Guys just came back. That's what you did in college football. And and I was going to use this example before, but like sometimes I hesitate. You're like, well, I guess this is a Nashville show. So, I mean, it's, it's more, uh, it makes more sense. But like two years ago, after coming off that five and seven season, they had, they, they retained almost most of the guys they wanted because they were able to help them out with some NIL deals. They weren't, guys weren't getting as much as the schools that came after them, but they were enough. So I'm making up numbers here. If another SEC school said, come over here for 400,000, Vanderbilt says, we'll give you, we, we can give you 200. They, they just wanted something. So they were able to retain that. So, okay, that was the model there. They weren't really hitting the transfer portal much because, you know, that's not what Clark and Barton Simmons wanted to do. Well, then the wheels come off this year, terrible season, a bunch of guys leave, and then they hit the portal for 11 guys. So I think that he's just changed. He's like, in this day and age, yep. that model, I'll call it the Bobby Johnson model, whatever, doesn't work. Um, where it took Bobby Johnson five, six years, and then finally got to bowl game was, you know, there were some other seasons they went five and seven, they were fielding competitive teams. Um, they just didn't break through. So, uh, I, I find Vanderbilt just an interesting case study in all this in, in where it goes. So, you know, I, obviously, I mean, I think there, there's no doubt there'll be a, I'd be surprised if there's not a basketball coaching change, like baseballs and still in, like, that was another thing, like, will, will Tim Corbin survive in this new world of NIL and transfer portal? Why he's still, he's still yeah. recruiting at a very yes. high level. I mean, like they're 25, 26, 27 classes. So, I mean, I know it's easy to sit here and say, oh, the football team sucks. The basketball team sucks. But I mean, the, the, the buy-in from the university has never been greater. So like, it's, yeah. it's just, it's, it's, I don't know, ironic's the right term. It's like the two main sports, football and basketball are like at a low while the commitment's never been better. So it's like you just – I'm not going to be paid. Where's we're going to be in three years? Like we see quick fixes in basketball. Uh, football is a different animal I, under, you know, look at Vanderbilt's long history. You know, it's just – it's been impossible to sustain yeah. success. So I think the average Vanderbilt fans, like, loves that the baseball team's good, wants the basketball team to be competitive. There's no reason that can't happen. Um, so I'm not saying they're saying, oh, they can't, you know – in this era, there's no way Vanderbilt can compete. I just think they don't have yeah. the right basketball coach in place for this era. So, well, and and I and I think they didn't. To your point about facilities, like if you have them, they're kind of all the same. They don't matter as much. But if you don't, that's a big deal. That's certainly something they're fixing right now. Right. And I was at I was at the Kentucky game with a few Vanderbilt grads, and they were like, "Well, why are we spending all this money to build this beautiful stadium? No one's going to come sit in." And I said, "Well, you have to build all the stuff first to have the nice box suites so that when you do purchase a good roster and Clark Lee's coaching them well, that they have a place to come sit and feel comfortable and like you have to have the facilities and all that. So like it's kind of like if you build it, they will come kind of deal, but at the same time, as long as the the financial investment is there on the roster side of things, then you can field a pretty solid football team. You you, you can overcome some right. of the challenges that yeah, Vanderbilt, like, Vanderbilt has. It, yeah, I mean, attendance and fan base, that's another issue, and, and the, the fan base has never been big, and I didn't realize it's smaller. But, like, I remember watching a Duke-Louisville game, and everyone loved David Cutcliffe, but at the end, it just didn't go well. Like, it was cold. I get it was late in the year. Like, it was a Thursday night game or a Friday night game, and there was probably, like, 722 people at Duke, <laughs> like, at a game. And then this a year is, later— This is football, by the way. Yeah, football. And then a year and a half later, Mike Elko comes in. They go seven and four, and then they're yeah, they're playing yeah. Notre Dame on Saturday night. And the play, I'm sure, there are a lot of Notre Dame fans, but it's like packed, great environment. It's just like yeah. you got to win. Yeah. You can look at it, tons South Carolina basketball. How many times you turn on South Carolina basketball for six p.m. game two or three years ago, and there's like there's there's no one there, and then now they sold out Saturday against Vanderbilt, and you know they beat. You know, it's just yeah. Different schools have different fan bases. I get that, but just you, you can't just say don't try because no one's at the games. If yeah. that makes sense.
Uh, all right, last one here. I'll let you go because I think this yeah. is ultimately the most interesting part of this entire thing. Because I do think eventually we'll get to revenue sharing, collective bargaining agreements, employee yeah. status, all the stuff that you've just now talked about from an NIL standpoint will be above. The, it'll be like there'll be their own website like we have with all the professional teams where we see a salary for every player on every you know power conference team, and that's that's eventually the smartest place for us to be. They'll work out all the 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 unintended consequences of all of that. But for the short term, let's say the next six to eight years, there's going to be chaos. And my question ultimately to you, this is a football question, is does the Ole Miss, this is, goes back to stars matter and to blue chip ratios and to all this other stuff. Does the Ole Miss model, uh, Lane Kiffin specifically said it, he lost to Alabama pretty easily and he lost to Georgia even more easily or worse, I should say. And he basically said, we don't have enough good players. They then decide to invest in the portal. Ole Miss is never a team that's going to recruit in the top 10. Missouri's another one of those teams. We can go down the list. We know who the the blue bloods and you and I, Mitch, have talked about this national championship sure. DNA for for a de- over a decade now. Does the new rules do the new rules, the portal and the collectives and NIL? Is it capable of closing the gap between the second and the second tier, the middle class, the Ole Misses and the Missouris of the world, with the teams like Alabama, Georgia, Ole Miss, who recruit at that level? Can they win three games in a playoff? Or are we still just tricking ourselves? I think, yes, to answer your question. I think here's my view on like teams built through the portal. Everything needs to go right. Like the and people are pointing at this Ole Miss team as one, you know, that that like the schedule's manageable, they've made the right moves in the portal. But like I I would not want my team if I were I would not want to build a portal team every year because I think you there's so many moving parts there's personalities there's chemistry so I'm, I guess my point is like I think a certain team in a certain year if they've got the right portal additions and the chemistry's great and everyone's buying in and they keep winning yes you'll find a team that's capable of winning those three games but I don't see a program sustaining I don't see a program making the jump from good to elite by doing that every year. And this might be, I apologize. I don't follow college basketball like I used to from a personnel standpoint. So I apologize. This is a bad example, but like under Eric Musselman, Arkansas, they've turned over the roster every year and they're good every year, except this year. So I don't know, like you got, is it because the portal additions, the chemistry is not good. I know they've had some injuries. So I'll say like Missouri basketball too. They brought a lot of guys in. They were great last year. They, they've had injuries too. So I guess that's my point is like when you're built, when you're turning over your roster every year, there's no guarantee that even with the talent, you're going to be good. That's why coaches would prefer to build and, and, and sustain. So again, my answer is I think we can find specific teams, but I don't think we're going to see programs making that jump, doing it this way. Does well, that make sense? I mean, Washington almost did it. So, uh, yeah, I, Washington I just, was a perfect storm too. Another thing too is like yep. once we're past this COVID, we're not going to have you know the, we're almost to the end of the sixty-year senior. I mean, Washington was loaded with six-year seniors. Yep. No, I I still think we're I still think we're tricking ourselves. I mean, Ole Miss recruits in the top twenty-five, so it's not like they don't right. recruit well. But that blue that that whole like oh Georgia has twelve of these guys and we have two of them. I don't think the portal closes that gap to where they can win three straight games in the playoff against you know we're going to call it Texas, Ohio State, Georgia back to back to back. I still don't know. I, I still don't know if any team can do that. Like Maybe Washington you're right. Maybe- is a great example though. What they had the, they had the right quarterback, the right coach, veteran five year you know offensive linemen who are you know twenty four right. tw- years old. So um, <laughs> I don't I don't think that's going to be repeated. Right. They have to win two more games. They couldn't even right. win the two. <laughs> right. So all right, Mitch Light, thank you so much, man. Uh, we do appreciate your time. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. All right, guys, enjoyed it. Take care. 
That was Mitch Light from The Athletic, of course, a guy who's been my boss. Three-timer time. Mitch Light. I, I, we'll have to go back and confirm that. We do not have a second source on that. Uh, but Mitch Light, of course, love his perspective on covering all things recruiting and how it's evolved, how it's changed, how they can report on it. Really interesting stuff as we enter this complete air time of chaos and roster management. It is why coaches are leaving. The sport has to be fixed. And it's funny, we're about to talk about uh, th- this TV contract for the playoff, which came in above the expectations for on a per game basis, which we'll get to in a second, but which shows the health of live sports and the health of the college football playoff and where it's going. But even inside of that, all these commissioners still haven't even decided on the format. <laughs> ESPN has paid $7.8 billion for a thing that right now technically does not exist. <laughs> so what, so what does that tell you? ESPN is going to choose the format. Yeah. Well, they're going to be, <laughs> yeah, they might, if they, they might, want 16 teams. ESPN will get 16 teams. Yeah, they might if wink, they, wink. If they want to, if they want to tell the Rose Bowl to fuck off at at, the, at their sunset, uh, at the, at their at their sunset uh, broadcast, they they can do that. Someone we never tell to fuck off, Ethan Roast or Mitch Light. Either one of those things, we would never say that to them. Neither one. Go to Ethan Roast. Uh, you might see Mitch Light there. He was there this week, actually. Uh, avid Ethan Roast supporter. Go to Ethan wow. Roast on Charlotte Avenue. You might catch uh, Mitch Light or any number of 440 Sports hosts. 440 media hosts across multiple podcast platforms. So go, go check out the the breakfast sandwiches and the beans because the beans are just better. Does Mitch Light know that he just inadvertently nope. endorsed uh, nope. Ethan? Nope, but I okay. I walked in and he was there, so he clearly endorses it with his wallet. Passive endorsement. There you go. Uh, and of course, you can get the beans all across the county, all across the city, every in every in grocery stores everywhere near you. So go to Ethan Rose. Do appreciate. Uh, Mitch Light. So, look, the format is going to be 12 teams. I know you're making some funny jokes there about that, but the point is is that they are signing this massive contract. 24 teams. With, with what is still largely an unsettled structure of a sport. And in some of the reporting about this, and I've talked to some folks as well, like the conferences still have to figure out and there's like a list of things they've got to figure out, which is like the format, the structure, the this, and I'm like, that's all the things. Like, they still have to figure out all the things. <laughs> How many how many uh, schools ultimately they're going to have in these super conferences? I mean, I, th- there is it, the the criticism of ESPN, and it's completely valid. Over the last few years, is that as a partner to college football, uh, they d- they have had a much bigger hand than they are willing to talk about in shaping how college football, particularly the postseason, happens. Um, and it is clear from this that they are going to continue to be the biggest force in shaping college football here over the next few years. And that I got to tell you, man, that new app, that new, uh, combo streaming app that's coming oh, between yeah. them and Fox and whatever else I like, I, I heard, I, I, I could hear the price tag on it just going yeah. up. So <laughs> when that, when that college football number got announced. So ultimately Mitch's conversation leads into this conversation because of the total chaos that is surrounding the sport. And again, the three, there's a bunch of things that the conference commissioners still have yet to figure out, which is future governance, revenue distribution and access to the playoff. That's all of the things. <laughs> Those are the three big structures. Now here, let me back up here and we'll start from the beginning. Current contract for the next two years or the or the last eight years of the playoff, $608 million per year. That gets you the three playoff games and the four other New Year's Six Bowls, which, of course, comes out to about $86 million per game that is being paid for those seven games. It's going to jump 
to six years, $7.8 billion. It's going to jump to $1.3 billion per year, which is about $118 million per game for 11 games, because that, that includes the four first-rounders on home sites, the four next round, the two, and then the final. Uh, my my assumption is they also have the rights to sublicense whatever they would like to do. So at $118 million per game, ESPN can kind of break off whatever they want. What I'm guessing will happen is either the first round or the second round, which is four games, will be broken up like wildcard weekend or like divisional round weekend where every broadcast partner gets at least one game and you go to four different channels for four different games. And then they sell maybe the championship game rights on a rotating basis. And it's also, to your exact point, Steve, not a coincidence at all that within days of, 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 of each other, we get number one, an announcement of the Big Ten SEC advisory group forming to essentially work together to, to build the structure of the future of college football. Then days later, we have an ESPN, Fox, and HBO Max, Turner, whatever it is, uh, joint venture to stream. Super then, app. Super app. And then direct-to-consumer sports live app. And then days later, an $8 billion television contract for the entire rights of the college football playoff for the next eight combined total years of six-year extension. In my opinion, Steve, informed speculation here, it is not a coincidence that those three major things got announced within days of each other. I I, I don't think that's a coincidence at all. <laughs> not at all. Um which by the way after after getting after getting criticized pretty heavily uh last year and i think they even they even attracted like a um an activist investor to kind of push the stock price back up uh disney on a kind of a heater here lately uh, uh they had they had like huge earnings numbers and then now they're announcing like the super app and now they're announcing college football and and and, and what i mean go mouse <laughs> team, team team mouse team mouse doing really really well here yeah, yeah lately yeah. so again 118 million per game up from 86 million per game and i think ultimately just like the cbs number for the super bowl what that tells us that number i was really keeping an eye on whether it was going to come in under or or above because there's concerns about the games maybe being watered down there was concerns about the semifinals not being good quality football games but i think as we have learned the value of a major important football game to the American public at a high level with big brands is going to be one of the few things that automatically returns your investment from a rights fee standpoint. And so coming in at about, I guess, what is that about 50% higher per game value? Pretty good job by college football to acquire that. Uh, again, remember, all of that money is uh, is not going to the NCAA. That is not an NCAA contract. That contract is with the college football playoff which is a bunch of people who own bowl games and the teams themselves. So it's a very which strange, it, very strange alignment. So, which, it, which, it, which it, again is how, I mean, and the money is pouring in on the non NCAA side of college of college uh, rights. Where is college football going? Wherever it wants to go. And the NCAA is not going to have a damn thing to say about it. <laughs> the, the NCAA will be like the loosely tethered inner tube on the back of the jet ski boat, like yeah. of the of the, the wakeboard boat. Thanks, that, thanks for regulating and organizing cross country, guys. Uh we're gonna make yeah. billions over here with yeah. football. Yeah, the, the NCAA is like the nine-year-old with like one hand still left on the inner tube bouncing behind in the wake. That's what they are. But they'll be there because that guy is stubborn. He's not going anywhere. <laughs>
Uh, go to Ethan Roast, of course. Also, do you have a recommendation uh, for everybody? Uh, because I, I, my recommendation is do not watch Jack Reacher. It's not very uh, good. You're, you're wrong about that. Not very um, good. Uh, the, I'm sorry. Why do, you, why do you hate popcorn stuff? Why, 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 why do you hate fun? Why, uh, why do you hate, like, big guys throwing haymakers? I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine with fun. I think you can find better written and better acted fun than that. I stuck to the whole first season. I watched the whole thing. Just, it was fine. The second this season is, a, this is totally is a, forced. This is, uh, hang this on, is hang a, on. A, I'm I'm watching the new Jason Isbell movie with the wife, uh, Killers of the Flower Mound or Moon, whatever it is. And we, <laughs> what is so funny about this, is we have now watched it two consecutive nights in a row for over an hour, and we still have like a whole another two nights to go. I was gonna say, <laughs> I was gonna say, it's like a multi night event. It's like a four night miniseries in one movie. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And uh, I'm not a huge fan of the accent so far. The guys with the best accents in the movie. Sturgill Simpson and Jason Isbell, <laughs> of course, the, the the Southerners. Uh, so, well, actually, isn't Sturgill from Utah? Where, where's he's from? Is, Kentucky. No, he's from Kentucky. But he sound uh, he's the one who's clearly not faking the accent. <laughs> right, right. Um, my recommendation is uh, so we've been working our way through some uh, Acorn stuff because we have this we have this Acorn subscription here while we're watching uh, Mister Spade, which is. Uh, Finale is coming up this weekend. Uh, you should you should watch it if you have AMC. You can watch it on there too. Uh, fabulous show. Uh, we found this show called Hinterland, and it's uh, it's shot like out on the Welsh coast, uh, and it's this kind of like somewhat creepy detective uh, or like it's, it's like kind of dark uh, um, uh, detective procedural kind of thing. Hour and a half long. Uh, episode so so it's not like so so they do what like a lot of british shows do which is they give you essentially like little little mini movies uh kind of in, in and they'll give it to you in four parts as opposed to doing like a 12-part series with sure. like five storylines or whatever uh it's really good and if you like one of the reasons why like we watched shetland over on britbox and i've is raved that, about is that, that. The, is that the the scottish version of this show so no so it, it, one of the reasons why we loved Shetland is is because it is shot so beautifully. Man, the Welsh countryside that they they shoot and they shoot it in like some really sort of dark ways. They use the Welsh countryside as this character that make it kind of like every, yeah. make everything kind of like super mysterious and beautiful and uh, twisted. And and there's something really interesting about where they shot it on the coast. Jen looks over at me like about halfway through and she goes have you seen any building that <laughs> was that was that was built kind of like after, after 1500 19, well uh, well like after 1970 like th like there's nothing new in these towns yeah. and it kind of it kind of you kind of get the sense of like crushing poverty that, that that's in some of these areas uh and how nothing new has happened uh, it's it's a fascinating kind of slice and these uh it was it went three series it went three series or three seasons we, we just finished the first season really really good but it, but it's like it, i think it was filmed like this is this is hinterland in the welsh Hint countryside not shetland in the scottish countryside right exactly okay exactly not to be confused with the irish one on hbo which is what like the girl in the wall or something like isn't there an irish one too is there an english uh, countryside crime drama show that you're watching as well can we get the entire yeah, yeah. UK? is there a northern irish one like can we get yeah, all of it, them yeah it's called the bbc which is <laughs> which is all i mean it is all of these shows all of the time okay <laughs> um anyway hinterland on acorn 
All right. Well worth picking up. It, it is it is just uh it, it is it is quite a beautifully shot show. And, and I am and I am here. If you would like to attack me at Braden Gall on Twitter.com or, or Blue Sky and attack my reacher takes, I am here nobody, for it. Nobody I'm cares about it. your shitty reacher takes. Come at me. Come nobody at me with your nobody, reacher. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about your shitty reacher takes. You That's are it. reacher, you're a reacher merchant. You are slinging reacher on people that don't deserve it. You are a con artist. That's what you are. You're a merchant. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'm hurt. Hurt. Uh, but, but make sure you download Acorn and BritBox, please. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And go to Eighth and Roast. Uh, go to the Nashville Banner. NashvilleBanner.com. Sign up for good journalism as well. And again, for Eighth and Roast fans who care about other things going on in Nashville, we meet there on the first Tuesday of every month at 830 in the morning. Myself and uh, uh, a very well-listened to podcast host on Pod Bless Nashville. You can come check us out on, uh, at Eighth and Roast. So come check us out. We'll be, we'll be there the first Tuesday of every month and probably a lot more other mornings as well. A lot more other. <laughs> Can I be a reporter? Can I be a reporter for the banner, Steve? (laughs) Me use words good. (laughs) Me like words. All right. Good eighth and roast. Uh, Special thanks to Mitch for hanging out. And uh, obviously, thanks for listening. For Steve Cavendish, I'm Braden Gall. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks. Thanks.